Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Hi everyone, welcome to America Meditating Radio and The Next Normal. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. I was just sharing with our upcoming guest the incredible, I don't know what you call it, vacation that I took recently and now I need a vacation because it was so intense. I still remember it, you know. I mean, who goes away on a vacation and takes their entire family and staff? Only somebody who's a little bit on the insane side. Anyway, our next special guest here is someone that I've been learning a lot about and she has really built a name for herself. Her name is Catherine Budig, and let me tell you a little bit about Catherine. She is an internationally celebrated yoga teacher, author, storyteller, mythology buff, and mother of two senior dogs. She co-hosts the Webby Award-nominated podcast, Free Cookies, with her wife, Kate Fagan. Catherine is the author of Aim True and the Woman's Health Big Book of Yoga along with founding the Inky Phoenix, an online book club for fellow lovers of story. Catherine just launched her newest project, House Phoenix, where she offers yoga recipes, stories, communities, spontaneous transformation, and much, much more. Let's give it up for Catherine Budig to be joining us on America Meditating and The Next Normal. Catherine, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to be with us. Oh my goodness, Sister Jenna, it's such an honor to be here. And I could just listen to you speak forever, right? I came into this feeling a little tense today and then your voice washed over me. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Either that or you'll fall asleep. (laughs) I will take either one. And I just learned from you that deities sleep from 2 to 5 p.m. Is that the correct time? (laughs) Can you believe it? I'm going to start napping and and honor my inner goddess. (laughs) You know what? That's the only way to do it, I'll tell you. You know, I did the genetics test. I was a guest at the White House with LeVar Burton and a whole bunch who were doing the remake of Roots, and they gave this genetic test kit called 23andMe, so I'm doing a shout out to 23andMe. They gave it as a free gift because they did this genetic testings with a lot of Africans and Caucasians only to realize or to discover that they were ancestors or they were connected in some sort of a relation in the past. And so the purpose of it was there's no need for racism because we're Mm. all connected. Isn't that Mm -hmm. a beautiful story? That is a very beautiful story. So I did my test and it says I don't need a lot of sleep. (laughs) And how do you feel about that? (laughs) Not very good. But you know what? My whole journey, I've not been a sleeper. For some reason, I always feel like I'm missing something, right? Maybe you symbolically don't need a lot of sleep because you're so awake, but it's okay to still get your eight hours because you're so present when you are awake. (laughs) Thank you. 
I will listen to you and I'll take it to heart. So let's hear a little bit about you. You've become quite prominent as a yoga teacher and you're known for your ability to empower your students through your message, Aim True. What inspired your interest in studying yoga and what has been the impact of yoga on your life? I was very lucky to study under phenomenal teachers. The amazing Mati Azradi, who has passed, was my mentor, and she will always be my mentor. Oh, Sister Jenna, I was so young. I didn't know what I wanted. In retrospect, I'd like to think that they found me. And I started training with them at Yoga Works in Santa Monica, and I knew very little about yoga at the time. I found yoga during my college years, and I didn't know Ashtanga. I didn't know what series meant. I just knew that I was showing up. And at the end of these 60 minutes, I just felt better and I felt excited. And, you know, I was on a a collegiate budget. So I was, you know, trying to scoop as much money together so I could take two classes a week instead of one. And by the time I graduated, I thought I had been in theater and I wanted to pursue a theatrical career. And I thought I would try out Los Angeles, Hollywood. And I wanted to learn how to teach yoga because it had brought me so much joy. And my teacher said, you have to go to Santa Monica and you must practice at Yoga Works with Mati. And that meant nothing to me, but I looked it up. And next thing you know, I'm moved to Los Angeles. I'm training underneath the most powerful four foot 11 human that's ever lived. And she just cracked me open and changed my life. And it was terrifying. And I was very resistant in the beginning because our first night, Chuck, basically spoke in Sanskrit for 90% of the nights, which I had never been exposed to. And I thought I was in over my head and this wasn't for me. And then the next day, Mati took us through asana. And I started to see the connection of how the physical practice and that discipline and the repetition and the tapas gets us to the place where we can understand ourselves and the energy inside of us. You know, I was 21 at the time, full of piss and vinegar, as they say. (laughs) Uh, So it was a very interesting journey, very accidental, and obviously deeply grateful to Mati every single day. I think about her every single day. Sure, sure. Now, your personal experience and mission now as the yoga teacher. Yes. Wild how that works. Yeah. It has been a long journey. You know, I think I started out very enamored with the physicality of the practice. I was learning aspects to my body that I didn't know my body was capable of doing, which is very exciting and unlocking potential. I would say for the first probably 10 years of teaching, I was very asana driven. And then Sean Korn came into my life, who is a, an amazing teacher in our community. And she's also a no-nonsense New Yorker. And she came in and just gave it to me like it was and said, I will be there for you and I will teach you everything I know as long as you're okay with me calling you out when you mess up. And it was hard, tough, beautiful love. And there aren't many people of her caliber who are so willing to give, who are not fear-based and feeling like you might take something away from them. That was her promise. I will give to you as long as you promise to do that to other people when they ask. And she was the beginning of more of this spiritual awakening as a yoga teacher for me and made me explore the aspects off the yoga mat. And that's where the concept of aim true came to me and the goddess Artemis from Greek mythology or Diana in Roman mythology, the goddess of the hunt. And I found a prayer that was written to her that opened with Artemis, huntress of the moon, make my aim true. Mm. And the prayer just 
you know, when you fall upon something and you read those words Absolutely. and it is like an incantation that comes off of the page and into your body, it changed mm-hmm. me. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what it meant. I knew the minute I read that prayer that there was something inside of me that connected directly to that. And it was very personal for about a year. And then I was on my way to teach at Kripalu and I was on the train and I thought, you know, what if I opened the weekend with something about aiming true? And I wrote up a little talk and a little practice for it. And it was so well received that, again, was that pivot for me to, okay, like, how can I really tap into where people are right now and talk to them through story and talk to them through experience? And that was, again, another 10 years ago. And now here I am, fast forward another 10 years later, House of Phoenix. You see a theme here. We've got goddesses. Yeah. and It's like your journey is being revealed to you each step of the way with yes. each you know, awakening moment that you're going through. Can we go back a little bit to yeah. the sharing of that prayer that you had come across? Do you remember the essence of its meaning? Or do you remember the prayer? Yeah, the essence of the prayer was, it was looking at Artemis. It was about four different stanzas. And the opening stanza was this essence of make my aim true, give me goals to seek and the means to achieve them. And I think at the time I was a little bit of an overachiever, so I may have taken that a bit too literally. And (laughs) I think at the time I was like, I'm going to make my aim true. I was focusing more on probably tangible achievements. And this is something I talk about with my wife all the time, that concept of a moving goalpost, where Mm -hmm. we have to be so careful with what we define as successful because you land there, you have that little get your pom-poms out moment and then immediately, okay, well, how can I maintain this? Or how, how can do I do more? It? Yeah. Yes, the but it's not. is the big part, isn't it? Oh, and that's not happiness because yeah. then it's this not living in the present moment. It's this constant quest to achieve something that is going to bring you happiness instead of finding out how to be happy now. And that has been a hard pill for me to swallow, to learn, but something that I work on myself every single day because I come from, my father was the ultimate overachiever. He taught me that success did mean happiness. And that is the metric system for how you value yourself. And so I'm still chipping away at those lessons that I've been taught. That's how I should be viewed. I know I'm jumping all over the place, (laughs) but. I get it. It fascinates me. A very good friend of mine, Carolyn Mace, was sharing that she was doing a lecture many years ago. And in doing this lecture, she's talking about all these specific people and religious terminology. And she bumped into Teresa of Avila. And she hadn't known much about her, whatever she was. But the moment she started to enter into her seven mansions, something in her just popped open. And she went Mm -hmm. on a completely different path. And one of the things that I find quite incredible, and it's definitely connected to mysticism, is that we really don't know what our future holds. But if we keep ourselves opened to the possibilities of life, can you just imagine what might come in front of us as our new awakening to just take us onto these different paths? Because you don't want to be bored, right? You don't want to be doing the same thing over and over again every day without any internal growth. I'm just thinking about this so much right now, this concept of what is the line between being inspired and finding your talent and what it is that you want to offer, and then having that fall over into ego and having it fall over into, I will be good at this because this is how I'm defined and I want people to see me this way instead of this is my essence, this is what I have to share. And it doesn't matter what the reaction is. It doesn't matter what the expectations of others are. It's 
about me tapping into what fills me up. And you can only be fulfilled in the moment. And we're just such a culture that's taught to conquest, you know, like pull up your big girl panties and get out there and work hard and achieve culture. When it's like, no, we're already in it right now. We're just so busy. We can't see that it's directly in front of us. And I'm speaking for myself. This is my daily practice. This is my daily pinch, my daily meditation, my daily mantra, everything that I work on as an individual and then try to impart upon my students. One of the things the pandemic, I think, has brought to our attention is more of an interior exploration, you know? Yes. Of what really are some of the things that maybe we have missed and maybe some of the things that we need to celebrate more of and yet struggling with sometimes letting go of the old yes. to move into the new dimension. And it takes us into sometimes a very emotional pool of thought. And you're like, oh gosh, what am I supposed to do with all of this? But I have to tell you that as you get to my age, <laughs> you get a little bit older, you don't care what anybody says about you. <laughs> you really are reaching a place inside of you that you'll always be enough. Yeah. And Every day as you're moving along, you will explore and discover so much more about you, but then you mess up and all of that messing up is also a part of helping you to figure out how great you really are. You know. What do you think about aging in correlation to compassion? Because I see two different roots. I see the people who age and become more jaded and more rigid in their belief system or divisiveness, and then people who age and gather so much wisdom that they're like, I see you, I see your pain, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I think everything boils down to a state of mind. And I feel that it depends on what you've been feeding over the years. If you've been feeding the wrinkles, mm -hmm. the lines, yeah. and all of these physical things, when they no longer feel like they can hold up for you, it can impact your consciousness a lot. But isn't age a state of mind, really? We know that as a fact. Yep. So I think it has everything to do with the love that sees through your eyes in everything. Mm -hmm. And that I think that if you practice that more and more, you'll reduce the wrinkle increase. And then you'll feel okay, you know, as you're moving on in life. You know, it'll be like, whatever, you won't be focusing that much. And thank God for Botox, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So millions of people around the world, you know they're practicing yoga right now. And it continues to increase in popularity. So what do you attribute the increased interest in yoga? And what changes have you witnessed over the years in terms mm. of people who are starting the practice of yoga? So many changes. Wow. When I started my training almost 20 years ago, yoga was definitely popular. It was very popular in Los Angeles, at least. And it was still the kind of thing where you would open a glossy magazine and read about a famous actress who's like, you know, how do I take care of myself? Oh, I drink water and I practice yoga once a week or something like that. And people are like, yoga, what's yoga? But it didn't have the kind of celebrity culture around it that you see now. And there's been, I think it's great that more people are practicing yoga. It's been a bit of a struggle for me as someone who trained under such great teachers and was taught lineage your teacher passes on to you and then you pass it on to the next person, et cetera. And I think with the rise of social media and YouTube and all that, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, it's wonderful because 
there's so much access to yoga now and there's so much free and people can just doctor Google it and pull it up and learn and it's at their fingertips. And I think that's a beautiful thing because before you would have to go find books or you would have to go find a teacher. And that's wonderful, but I also worry about it being diluted and there's not as much lineage. There's not as much senior teaching being passed down, which to some extent, I think, okay, the pro is that it's accessible. You know, it's very modern. It's being spoken in a language that the masses can understand. But then the mystical side of myself and the person who is so lucky to train under so many beautiful teachers is saddened by the fact that I see that going away. And I would love to find a nice medium. And I have students all the time where if you say a Sanskrit word, or if you chant, it sets something off in them and they feel like, oh, that's not for me. And some people get it confused with religion and they have this concept of who they are and that's not for me. And so in that sense, I think the modern yoga is good because it can kind of pull you in. And then if you do enough yoga, it does wake something up inside of you and it makes you want to ask questions and then you can decide to go deeper. So I'm conflicted because there's much good and there's much decay. Yeah, yeah. You know, when Prime Minister Modi had declared International Day of Yoga, it Mm. was huge for a world leader to take such a large stage as the United Nations to declare that there should be a day of yoga for the importance of the wellness and healing of our state of mind. And years later, maybe within about five years or so after it really took more and more traction, there was a concern that yoga exported to the West was losing the richness of its ancient sacredness of Mm -hmm. its practice. And it's not easy to define the invisible, especially in a physical practice like yoga. But as you said, there are some that as they get into it, maybe something starts to pop open for them and they begin to recognize the reverence of it. But there has been a great concern that the ancient sacredness of yoga out of India is becoming too commercialized or a little bit too watered down. So it's been a concern. I don't think there's an answer yet. I think they're just watching it as it unfolds. But teachers like you who stay authentic and true and like Sean continue to hold the mantle of the sacredness of the tradition. And that's important to recognize. Trying to do our best. And I think America is a capitalistic country. That's what we are. It's what we were built on. So it's very difficult to bring any non-American spiritual practice onto American soil and have it be untouched by capitalism. It's almost impossible. (laughs) It's just, it's impossible. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that it has to poison it. It will never be pure. There's always going to be some aspect of that. And I'll tell you this, in addition to what you just said, Sometimes coming out into the West or coming to America, it refines the practice too. Mm. There's certain things that I've seen has been refined when the Western mentality or energy touches it. It's oh, just, can you give me an example? I'm very intrigued by this. I think a lot more clarity in discerning the understanding of it. Mm-hmm. For example, sometimes when it's old, people stay in the traditional practice, which is good. But then things are evolving. We're always Mm -hmm. evolving. And there are times when in our evolving, we're refining methodologies of things. So it works easier on us, but also it benefits more. Yes. I find that in the U.S., we have that tendency of 
finding that balance in that making it a lot more beautiful than maybe it wasn't back in the old days. Well, isn't tradition such an interesting concept if you think about it? Because as an American and as someone who loves myth and mysticism, there's part of me is like, oh, I was born in the wrong country. You know, I, I wish I was born in an older part of the world where I could tap into it easier. So in many ways, I think tradition is such a beautiful thing, but it's also what keeps us from asking questions. It's also something that can just, oh, that's tradition. Don't ask questions. Where it's like, no, 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 no. We need to explore this and update it and evolve. But that's why you've got your philosophy of aim true. Yes. Because tradition is all about holding certain principles and values. And I think where people get misguided is that they get too caught up in the ritualism of tradition mm. and they forget the depths of its virtues, its values, and its principles. And that's yes. why sometimes people hold on to tradition and they forget that all they're trying to do is to maintain their principles, which is a soul thing. It's oh, not a so physical beautiful. thing. You know what I'm saying? So oh, yes. tradition is fine. Don't let go of it. Like, I'll be out with my friends and I don't know, they might be drinking, eating, whatever, steak, this, and I'm just having my little perrier with some salad and I'm fine. You know, so it doesn't mean that I can't be out with my global family. It's just that my principles are my principles and I am rooted in my tradition. But I'm okay with you living what you need to live too, but that's not going to change me at a core level, at least not yet. (laughs) Let's hope it doesn't. So listen, let's move on to your gift as a writer and an author. Tell us a little bit about what inspired your interest in now going into the writing, the exploration of becoming an author and doing some books. Yeah, I have two books that are nonfiction books that are out. And I actually have spent the last two and a half years writing fiction. It is not for the weak of heart, let me tell you. And I grew up a voracious reader. I just loved story, was always consuming. And there was something, if you relate to this, where you read an unbelievable story and you set it down and you're so touched by it. And I would always think, how do they do that? Like, this is the ultimate gift to be an author, to be able to weave these words together, to create a world, to transport the reader and give them characters in a space that they will never forget and a place in their mind that they can go to when they need it. It's just magic to me. It always has been. And I told myself, it is like, I could never do that. This is for the talented few. And, you know, writing the nonfiction books, it's a very different experience, but I gave myself permission. I do not know where it came from. Sister Jenna just happened a few years ago. I told myself I'd be an old woman writing fiction. Not yet, not yet. And finally, I just thought, I have a story inside of me. And she's been talking to me for a while. And what happens if I just sit down and entertain it for a little bit? And next thing you know, I had a full draft. And then I completely reworked that draft. And now it's out in the world in the laps of editors. And I'm just sitting here trying to stay (laughs) positive every single day and not allow the empty space to be filled with negative thoughts. And It's so interesting. And the power of story is, to me, being a yoga teacher. Yeah, it really is. And being a yoga teacher, a lot of my students ask me, where do you get inspired? And they think to look in the obvious spaces, like, you know, go to other yoga classes, learn from other teachers, read scripture, read books based on yoga. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, these are all fantastic. But for me, the overall concept of story, like that's where I take all of my inspiration because I see 
my life in it. I see situations in it. I see myself. I see dreams and things that I can then pluck from those pages and weave yes. them into my teaching. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I was talking to someone the other day, a young man from India, and he was diagnosed as bipolar, turns out to be gay, then ended up trying to commit suicide four times. And he had a very interesting comment where he told me, if you are ever born with these sort of a karmic realities, don't be born in India. And I thought to myself, why did you say that? Because it's just so complicated. They won't accept you. They won't look out for you. And I said, wow, what a story he has in terms of putting together a movie or a book that can help people's minds to expand and become more accepting of everyone's karmic reality. Everyone's got to sort out their karmic truths. Why are you bothered by it? You know, I mean, come on. You've got your karmic truth to deal with, and so does he. So the question is, how do we bring that energy of love and compassion that can give us the ability to be more accepting with each other, you know? It's very, very, very important. Oh, I wish I had an easy answer to that, because I think especially in America right now, it's hard. I mean, the gloves are off. And also being a queer woman, you know, we have encountered more homophobic slurs in the past few years than we ever have. And I think the energy is so tense right now. And people are, like you said, they are so seeped in their story. And not only in their story, their projected story of what they believe someone else to be. I think they're being fears in even just accepting that, what if it was you that was in that position? Wouldn't you like to have been loved and appreciated? You know, I'm surprised by your sharing that there's been a lot more negative slurs towards your particular orientation or lifestyle or who you are as a person. Because in my mind, I thought that we were getting a little bit more open, you know? It depends where you are, you know, we're in the South. So that's (laughs) not helping us. Uh, We need to move to California. (laughs) I know, it might be time to go back to LA. I think it's just the concept of stories is that we need to be careful. We need to stop casting characters in our life. I mean, it's legit, like you're, everyone is their little Shakespeare and they're looking at the world around them and they're, sure. you know, doing sure. their cast list and they're like, oh, there's the ogre. I've never heard them speak before, but I know they're going to be an ogre and already putting everything down. And I know that we all have incredibly strong beliefs and I'm grateful for the beliefs that I have and I respect what people have, but it of comes course. back to that tradition, right? Our people yes. are raised to believe certain things. They're raised to not question that. And then when they are brought up against someone who has a different belief, they get out the guns. Yes. And instead of listening to each other, it's like, just take off the earmuffs for one second and listen. Like that is a human. We are both humans. Like you said at the very beginning, we all came from the same place. We're all going back to the same place. Like, why can't we see that here while we're in our meat suits (laughs) with each other? I've had had these conversations with, some of the most profound, powerful people, especially in Washington, to grassroots, right? And we look at what is the cure? What is there a solution to somehow finding a way to bring humanity together to create some sort of an acceptance of each other? And no matter how many tools, projects, programs, money you put in, it doesn't change consciousness. And Mm -hmm. I think that if we can move from 
body consciousness, which means man, woman, queer, straight, black, white, American, Indian, we move away from the attachment to those labels and accept that we really are all souls. Yes. And that the soul is simply playing a part out at this particular time. I suspect there will be world peace. There will be some sense of acceptance and and maturity in no matter how old or young of a soul you are in the drama of life. I believe that we would actually come to some point like, yeah, well, if you're a soul and I'm a soul and your wife is a soul and your dog is a soul and the president is a soul, Mm -hmm. but they're all playing out their part, then can't we just meet in soul conscious awareness and tap into each other's gifts, specialities, and recognize that we do have limits and we do have shortcomings and to see how we can help and support each other. Wouldn't that feel like a perfect world, Catherine? (laughs) It would. And short of getting God to come on the podcast, (laughs) I, I do wonder sometimes, we do want this idea of world peace. But then when I really go into a deep esoteric place, perhaps we're here to experience the conflict. Perhaps part of the experience is to come here and experience what it is to suffer and how do you react to it? How do you react to your fellow humans? I don't know. I mean, obviously, again, maybe we can get God on the podcast. (laughs) Let's get God on the podcast. I have his number. I'll tell you that I think that what makes this particular maybe last 10, 20 years so profoundly powerful is because of social media yes, and the online platforms that we have. You took a leap and you started your own online platform. Yes. Tell us about that and what gave you the determination to now be thrusted in that direction? Well, it was terrifying because the company that I worked for, I had been with for 12 years and it was comfortable and safe. But I was losing that je ne sais quoi. You know, it it felt like a job. It felt like something that I, I showed up for and I checked off. And there were a lot of things going on behind the scenes for me, but I knew it was time to leap and that it was time to create what I found missing, especially after quarantine and everything that we're going through with COVID is that I was missing community. I was missing connection and being in studio with other practitioners and with my students. And I know we can't do that online, but I thought, okay, what is the next best thing? How can I get as close to that feeling as being in physical community with people and put that online? And that's where I came up with the name House, H-A-U-S, House of Phoenix. I didn't want to create a yoga platform. I wanted to create a home. And I chose the old world spelling of house because that immediately evokes story to me and it evokes magic and mysticism. And this isn't your normal home that you're stepping into. And I chose the Phoenix. It started with the Inky Phoenix, which is my book club. And the concept behind that was that each month's story is like the Phoenix, that it burns bright and it's beautiful and it teaches us. And then as it comes to an end, it returns back to ashes and something new rises from the ashes. And that's our next story. And it's just the cycle over and over and over again. And I was so, oh God, I just fell in love with that so much. Like everyone in the book club and we did our monthly Zooms and the connection and the brains and the stories and the ideas. 
And I realized that's what I'm missing in my teaching right now. And I need that kind of family again. So I built House of Phoenix. So it's not me on one side as the teacher and you as the student on the other side. It's coming together as a home. And together. Yes. And it's set up where we interact on social media. Yes. But there's also a, a private community app where we talk to each other every single day. The way the classes are when you sign on, there's a little chat box. I always come on 10 minutes early and we chat with each other there and check in with everyone and their little avatars come up so I can see their faces. And we meditate live every Monday together. We do yoga practices every week together. I've been leading everyone through moon rituals every month to like establish the concept of ritual, which has been so powerful Mm -hmm. for everyone to Mm -hmm. have that again. And then food, I do recipes and and moving mythology, which are the classes every month I pick a different myth and I retell the myth and then teach an entire class based on that story. It sounds like it's tapping into all of your strengths, which, you know, working in that safe position before that was done for you. And now your different talents and gifts are coming out. Look, we're coming to a close and I hate to tell you that, but we did great. (laughs) What about that podcast that you're co-hosting? What's it called? Free Cookies? Free Cookies. Yes, I co-host it with my wife. We've been on the summer hiatus and we will be picking it back up. It's just uh, been a little busy with everything going on, but it's such a joy co-hosting it with the love of my life and my best friend. And we have a lot of fun together and we've been focusing on authors. We've had the full gamut of different guests. We've had people from the wellness world. We've had athletes. We've had authors. And I think we'll stick with the concept of story, but who knows? We always kind of switch it up. We aim for inspiring, often funny conversations, something thoughtful. (laughs) I'm sure you do. Is there a message that you would like to leave with our audience today that can take them to that next level in their lives? I think... I will just share what I'm personally sitting on right now. And for anyone who is stuck in the future, (laughs) for anyone who is stuck in a story that has not come to be, but it's something that you're weaving that makes you uncomfortable, I encourage you to take a moment to stop. And whether you sit and meditate or you move your body or whatever it is to shake you out of the default mode, that negative Mm -hmm. unconscious default mode that we fall into, don't let yourself become a story that isn't true. Don't fall into that trap. And whatever you can do throughout the day again and again to shake it off so you can actually be in this moment instead of projecting negative things that may or may not happen, pull yourself back into this moment. This is what we're looking for. We're not searching for happiness tomorrow or a week from now or a month from now. The happiness is now. So whatever you can do to access that, please find that. Catherine Budig, you've been a delight to have on the air today. Thank you so much for your truthfulness, your openness, your authenticity, and to be continued, yeah? Yes, please. Maybe an RV trip. (laughs) (laughs) And make sure it doesn't break down the (laughs) string. Or maybe it will. More fun. All right, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed my time with Catherine Budick. I think you can definitely find her information on our website. So feel free to connect with her if you'd like to further explore your journey with her as well. You know what? Nobody can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And I suspect that we really are here to love each other the same. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take care of yourselves. Be good. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. 
You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.